Hello, everyone. Uh, I never introduce this show. Uh, this is Rich Diotti, a co-founder of Postlight. Paul Ford is not here. I kicked him out of the business, and he is no longer at Postlight. That's a joke. Paul is not here today. He is at a family gathering of some sort, and I've got someone else here with us, Gina Trapani, a partner at Postlight. Recent partner. Congratulations on that. I want to sneak that in. Thank you, Rich. Hello. Uh, welcome. And this might end up being better than other podcasts. You think? Paul will have to deal with that. He will. He'll have to reckon with that reality once this episode is done, for sure. Absolutely. Track Changes is the podcast of Postlight. Postlight, we are an adorable little product studio located in New York City. Paul loves to give the address. 101 Fifth Avenue. We build, design, and build all sorts of stuff from platforms uh, to apps, and by apps, we mean all sorts of apps from the web to anything else. So we have a really cool guest today. I have seen your name just pop up in like articles and news feeds probably for about seven or eight years. Uh, Leah Culver is here with us. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Okay, Thanks, great. Rich. Welcome uh, to Track Changes. I looked over your history this morning. History sounds intense. Um, uh, but, uh, it's really interesting and varied. And I want you to kind of walk us through it from the quote unquote, when I got started. Sure. Well, I got started programming in college. I took one programming class. I was an art major. I thought I'd be like a web designer maybe when I was younger and I just fell in love with it. I loved writing code. I loved the challenges. I loved that it was hard. Um, and so I switched majors and got my computer science degree in 2006. And then I moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area, not because I knew that it was the center of tech, but because it had nice weather and there were lots of jobs there. Um, Makes coming, sense. Yeah, coming from Minnesota, uh, my thought process was very much get away from snow. <laughs> so What year is this? Where 2006. 2006. 2006. Okay. Art major turned comp sci major. Okay, okay. Yeah, escaped to the Bay Area, very non-intentional. It wasn't, you know, like nowadays people are very intentional entrepreneurs, very intentional programmers, things like that. Did um, you have a job when you went or did you just go I and did. say, oh, okay. I had a job at a small startup um, in San Jose. And then I got a couple other jobs at small startups um, before eventually, maybe within the next year or two, starting uh, my own first startup, which was Pounds. Give us a time timeline there. How long before you like you were at that job? Like a year before I started Pounce. A year. Yeah. All right. So yeah, you, I was young. You yeah. went for it. You yeah. just You just you did a little work and you said, you know, I can do this. And then you I just had nothing went for to it. lose. I had nothing to lose. And what happened was I had met Kevin Rose and Daniel Burka, my other two co-founders, um, and they were looking to build something new. And I was maybe one of the only developers that was kind of not working at Dig at the time or any of the other companies they were affiliated with. I was kind of more of a free agent. And they said, hey, can you build this? And I was like, well, I don't know. I've never built anything like this before. But sure, yes, I can build this. And Pounce was the hot (laughs) ticket. I remember like invites to Pounce or getting one of those was a really big deal. Yeah, that was crazy. So I built the invite system. So it was really weird to be like, oh, people are paying money for something that's, you know, like 10 lines of code. Right, right. They were like, they were eBaying invites to Pounce. (laughs) It was really, everybody wanted in there. It was the hot place to go or to be. It was super surreal. To I think I was 25 at the time. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So you just, you had it in the mind. You weren't thinking, okay, let me be somewhere for a while, save up for a 
condo. You just said, let's go. No, that would have been smarter if I had been smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Let's keep going with the story. Let's see where it ended up. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just, I, you know, I figured I was young. I had no money anyways. I had nothing to lose, right? Like right. the worst case scenario, I'll go move back in with my parents in Minnesota and they'd be thrilled. Best part of being 25, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was very, very freeing. Um, um, pounds, we kind of hit that 2008-2009 kind of market housing market crash investors weren't really looking to keep funding things um, and so we were sold to six apart um, blogging company old old time blogging company yeah okay so you sell it now when people hear I sold my company that's usually big awesome outcome did you go no. to okay no it was basically a what they call an aqua hire. Okay, so you went to work at Six Apart. Went to work at Six Apart. Which was, at the time, the player in in terms of blogging tools and blogging software, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, very innovative. I was trying to do interesting new things. Yeah, it was actually a really great learning experience. So it was the first company I felt really a part of the company and the culture and uh, was really into blogging. So it worked out pretty well. Right. Okay, so you're at Six Apart how long? Uh, about a year, maybe a little longer. You got antsy again. Uh, well, it's it's actually a cause of a lot of people lo- uh, leaving or joining jobs. Uh, my all my managers left, so the folks who so I a lot of change was happening. A lot of change was happening, um, and it, for various reasons. I don't think it was the fault of Six Apart at all. Um, I just think there had been people had been there a long time and were looking to try something new. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when the people you know at a company all kind of leave at the same time. So I felt sure. a little bit lost. So I had a friend who needed an iOS app built in a month and said, hey, I'll pay you to build an iOS app. So I left my job and built an iOS app. Uh, I didn't know anything about building I, yeah. iPhone apps. Yes. I was going to say, the iPhone's pretty new at this point, right? Like iOS app development is a new thing. How- oh, yeah. This was 2009. So it had been maybe two years since the iPhone came out, one year since they allowed you to build apps for it. Okay. Wow. So yeah. had you done any iOS development at Six Apart? Or this is completely, you're just like, no. I'll just take up Objective-C. No, I don't know. When I was young, I just said, okay, I can do it. It was crazy. That's the way they gave you a month? Uh, yeah, I had to build an iOS app in and, and you ship don't know, it in a month. You don't know Objective-C. <laughs> and I don't know Objective-C, no. Okay, and did you pull it off? I bought a book. Back then, you could still buy physical okay. books. that's not good enough, Leah. <laughs> Just buying the book doesn't get you there, okay? So, okay, so would you, you ate the whole book in like three days, and then I, you started building the app? Yeah, I, I read the book. I followed the tutorial. I don't think I showered for several days at a time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's call this out. This is kind of badass in, in in tech. Like, that's crazy. I mean, that doesn't happen. So you're not just like this sort of, you know, run-of-the-mill resource that's getting bounced around companies. That's that's impressive. I thought it was fun. <laughs> That's also great. You could have come out of that miserable and said, why did I commit no, to this? No, no. I like the challenge. The deadline was, to me, then, at you know, in my early 20s, exciting. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you pull that off. Yeah. And that was freelance, it sounds like. Yep. Yep. Okay. And then? More freelance work. Um, and then I started my second company when I was approached by another friend who wanted to build something. And I said, yes. I was only a contractor at the time. Nothing to lose. Um, so we went for it and we applied to Y Combinator and got accepted. And that company was Convor, which is group chat site. This yeah. is what year are we? Oh, uh, 2011. 2011. So group chat is a whole world now. 
Oh yeah. What's uh, it's like Campfire is the leader at that point. Is Camp, that true? Campfire was yeah. the big name. Uh we were doing something that was more public, more um consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Campfire was business at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up pivoting to do business things and rebranded as Grove and we did IRC for businesses, so more focused on the IRC protocol. For good and bad, uh, mm-hmm. it appealed to you know IT departments, but not a lot of other people were willing to try IRC. So, yeah. yeah. What, well, what happens to this company? Where did it end up? So this company, my co-founders ended up leaving because they wanted to stay doing consumer things, okay. and it really wasn't working as a consumer product. Uh, wasn't getting the traction that we wanted. And mostly it was used by businesses. Like businesses were using it, creating private groups and then running with it. And I was like, oh, we should actually have them just pay for this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you, you went you went in that direction. Yeah. Sort yeah. of like a subscriber subscription model. Yeah. So we had an amicable parting over the direction of the product. Now let me guess. This is 11 days long, this startup. And then you moved on to the next thing. I would say it was a couple of months. This all seems, you make it sound like my career goes by so quickly. So wait, hold on. How long, how long was this startup? Um, two years total. Okay. That's yeah. your first serious commitment. Two years. You hadn't done anything for two years. That's that true. Point. That's true. Okay. So you're settling down. Yeah. <laughs> it gets right, longer. What's there, next? There's longer, longer stretches. Um, okay. <laughs> in between, I worked for a couple startups uh, as an iOS developer. The startups did better and worse, <laughs> I guess you could say. And I ended up landing at Dropbox. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be recognized. That's a serious company nowadays. Yeah. Huge company. Think when I joined, it was 500 people. It's now up to 2,000 wow. employees. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Were they also YC? Yes, they were YC. So I ended up, after doing Y Combinator, What's nice is you can sort of apply to work at other Y Combinator companies. Yeah, I imagine that it's incredible networking. Yeah, it's a wow. it's a good network, sure. and if they know you're a, you know you're a solid engineer or a designer or someone who can work at one of the companies as well, they'll kind of try and keep you. Right. I heard that you interviewed at like thirty companies before you chose Dropbox. Which I is did. Am- like I such admiration. Good for you. I love that. I love I being just, choosy. You know, I'd always just taken the opportunity that was in front of me instead of seeking out what I wanted to do. Um, So it was really an opportunity to explore what was out there. So I said no to more companies than said no to me. (laughs) Nice. In the early days, too. I imagine Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, before I even finished interviewing, I'd often say, you know, I'm just not that into this company, this job. Yeah, Yeah, I could be picky because I just applied so many places. Honestly, you want a candidate (laughs) to to, to make that decision that way. You know what I mean? To like make, you know, to be that. Not most most candidates aren't doing that. They just want an offer. But that's I think that's really smart. I would recommend it. I mean, it takes a little bit of a thick skin because you I did get rejected a lot as well because I just reached out and applied like I applied online. Uh, to some companies who never got back to me. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, you're at Dropbox. If you can share what you did there. Sure. I was at Dropbox for three years, so I actually stuck around for a while. Okay. I was a developer advocate, which is kind of an interesting role in that it's at Dropbox, you have a technical background. Uh, you're working with on their API team and with their APIs, promoting their APIs to other developers. So really selling Dropbox's APIs to other developers. De- other developers outside of Outside Dropbox. of Dropbox. Okay. So third-party applications, getting them to try using Dropbox APIs um, and 
doing that through a variety of ways. So writing blog posts, writing documentation for the APIs, going out and speaking about the Dropbox APIs, helping to sponsor hackathons and events. Okay. Uh, so really different, not just engineering all the time. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's probably one of the ways you built your profile. I mean, if you're out there and talking, you've always kind of had a voice, even be before Dropbox, as I remember it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember when I first moved out to Silicon Valley, everyone's like, oh, you have to start a blog. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a requirement. <laughs> it's a requirement. Yeah. It's a requirement of the job. So I had a blog. Um, I was on Twitter. Um Things like that. So. Yeah, I mean, it's such good practice, though, for, like, telling stories and communicating and writing. I mean, and it sounds like the developer advocate job was more about evangelism and relationship building and marketing, maybe, than, you know, a straight engineering job. Right. And I wanted more experience doing those types of activities. I thought it was interesting. I wanted to learn how to be a better blog post writer, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> it's a skill you practice. That's, that's not the thing today. Like, if you're coming out, you're 25 today, you start the Twitter account. Yeah. Maybe you start Instagram, but it's not like, okay, I got to get my blog post going. That's not the mindset yeah, today. It's, it's true. Uh, maybe you write on Medium every so often because mm-hmm. you, you feel compelled. But a blog is more, this is me. This is my identity. And mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to talk to you through this place. And there's always a feeling of like, okay, I should, I should go write something. I had that feeling. I, I blogged for like six years. And if I didn't write something in like, 45 days, I felt like I got to go write something. Yeah, and your blog was like your online, it was your online identity. It was your identity. It was like unfolding narrative of your life or your thoughts or, yeah, yeah, it was very different. Even Medium just doesn't quite have that because you're just kind of in the the pool of all the Medium writers. Exactly, it's a pool. Mm -hmm. Would you now say it's your Instagram or your Twitter? You know, if you were starting out today, would you just go to those as... Your way to be present online? I guess. I'll I'll, I'll see someone I think is interesting and they have, you know, you go to their site and it's, you know, the classic Twitter, Instagram, like the icons are at the bottom. Right. right? And then you hit Instagram and it's just them showing you how to, how like some ice cream melted on their hand. Yeah. And it's just, (laughs) I don't know, that's really given me the backstory, (laughs) which is great. It's like they're living life and they're happy and that's great, but it's not, it's not a blog. It's right. not a blog by any means. You can pick up not just the knowledge they're sharing, but sentiment as well and, mm-hmm. and where they're at and their position on things and such. I don't know. I think that's more interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm sounding like nostalgic here for a second, but I've Well, always... you could think there's some benefit too, because one of the reasons I wanted to learn to write better was in case I did another startup and another company uh, yeah. to become a more effective communicator. And you look at some of the companies today and they're not communicating effectively. The founders aren't trained in how to speak with the press. They're really not. Yeah. Yeah. You hear about them through the bigger bigger startups. You hear about them through other channels. You know, there's rumors that kick in and and other stuff. Or they go to like, you know, those conferences where they just put two couches or two love seats in front of everyone and they just talk about life and their startup. But that's about the only channels you you get. I mean, you get announcements and press releases, but that's not that's not a blog. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, do companies today control their own narratives in the way they yeah. used to? Right, right. Okay, Dropbox three years. We're we're making it through this. Where where are we now? So it's two thousand. Oh, this what I left Dropbox in December. So. Oh, this is extremely oh, very recent. recent. Okay, yep. so we're caught up. Okay, so somewhere along this timeline, you got involved in defining uh, a couple of standards. 
Yes. Which we which we want to talk about. Yeah, we glossed over this a little bit. We did. Yeah, both of them were when I was working on Pound. So my first okay. startup. Yep. The the two uh, well known ones are OAuth and OEmbed. Okay. And tell us tell us what OAuth is in as plain English as you possibly can. Sure. I always say, have you ever pressed a button that says connect with Facebook to log in? That's probably the easiest way to explain it. That's Anytime you click log in, in with world. Facebook. Yep. Yes. Yep. That is based on OAuth. Okay. Um, yep. It's in this situation, they're using OAuth as an identity provider. But what it was originally intended for was a way to um, identify a user when they're logging in for an API and also to tell to um, sort of let them choose which permissions they want the third party apl- application to have. So if you're worried about clicking that login with Facebook button and then, oh, it might post something to Facebook right. on your behalf and you don't know about it, that's scary, right? So also part of the OAuth specification and process is letting the user know sort of what they're opting into. Like, hey, we were not going to post to Facebook without your permission. Yeah, you get that list of things. Yeah, I didn't realize Here's that what was you're letting part us of the OAuth spec. I, thought yeah, I didn't, OAuth I didn't spec, realize yeah. that either. I thought the the two, the, the app itself kind of, get, you know, can see your friends list, cannot post tweets for you. I thought that was something that Twitter defined versus the OAuth spec itself. They do define it. Uh, it the technical term is scopes, OAuth mm-hmm. scopes, um, but each application can choose which scopes they want to have. That's right. And it depends on the application, right? So not every application you can post to, for example. Um, That makes sense. I'm having a total fangirl moment, by the way. I mean, I've implemented OAuth in the apps that I've built, and I press the, like, authorize with Twitter or connect my GitHub account or connect with – like – Ten, ten, yeah. ten times a day, and that's yeah. your work. That's going to be amazing to feel like. Well, it was a group of twelve people, so. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah okay. but still. Yeah, I mean, still, you were in the room. I mean, this is something room. that has had a pretty, pretty serious impact, not just on the web, Huge. but beyond the web. Huge um, impact. So, I mean, congratulations on that. Do you get any money out of this? Thanks. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No, no congratulations on that. That's was, a hell of a thing to put on. It was a, done out of the love of, for me, user experience. Mm-hmm. So allowing users to quickly log into sites and to sign up for new things, it's a huge pain point, right? So I was trying to get people to use my app, Pounce, and I was like, ah, how do you know? It's hard. I see. You have to create whole accounts. This yeah. came out of figuring out auth for pounds. Yeah. Well, for our API specifically, like how can third-party applications use our API securely? Um, and then it kind of morphed into this kind of login identity thing, and that's great. Yeah, I think that's su- such a nice use. I remember when it took hold initially, because you know you look at the path of like standards through W three C and things like that. That's a process, right? And then this thing, it took hold, and it was so simple that it kind of caught fire in the development community in terms of wow, this is this is a pretty simple, straightforward way to do it, and we need it. And then it just, I felt like, I mean, I may be wrong on this. I felt like it took six months and then you started to see it trickle out uh, in a lot of different places. Uh, I think for some, it was, if anything, it was the bureaucratic walls and the bigger companies in terms of getting it through. But it's just simplicity around something like, I think that's, that's I think, was the stroke of genius there. When you think about the different authorization protocols now, I'm sure you have so many feelings about things like two, two-factor and Touch ID and those things. I mean, two-factor auth, I mean, sh- talk about complicated and annoying yeah. user experience. Like compared yeah. to OAuth, it's, it, it, I mean, you can tell that you, were, that you all were thinking about user experience and not about <laughs> security yeah. and barcodes. And yeah. uh, There's a necessary evil aspect to 
two factor and uh, others out there just because it's it's not just about convenience it's about right security it's about know? security but what's really interesting have you guys been hearing these stories about stolen phone numbers now so if you get yeah. your two factor as a text message uh, it's actually easier to steal someone's phone number right. than pretty much anything else. I, I feel to, like two factor to get the message, to, to get the six yes, numbers. to get that. So you want to steal someone's phone number so that text message comes to your phone instead of their physical phone. Right. So right. now everyone's recommending you use like a, an app on your phone instead of right, like off your phone number. or Google yeah. Authenticator, yeah. Mm-hmm. getting the push notification. And yeah. isn't that crazy that that's the weak point? The weak point is the cell phone providers, right? right. Like calling Verizon yeah. and faking them into sending yeah, the and they ask you like a, some easy security questions. What's your birthday? Yeah. Okay. Here's right. your phone number. That's insane. <laughs> it it's, I mean, round and round we go here, right? I mean, it's just constant. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Security's well, always a game of whack-a-mole and kind <laughs> yeah. of protector. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hands. All right. So you left Dropbox. I, we've we've arrived. Yes, we've we're, arrived. We're coming to the, to the present. The new thing. The new exciting <laughs> thing. It took us a bit, but we're here. It's another startup. Tell us about this new startup. Sure. So the new startup is Breaker. It's an iOS app for listening to podcasts and for discovering new hot podcasts going on right now. And specifically, we're interested in podcasts at the episode level. So if there's a really great interview or a specific topic that is a really good episode, Uh we surface that the best, better than any other podcast app out there. Because when you listen to podcasts, we take note of that you listen to it. You get like credit, so you can say, "Hey, I've listened to you know thirty six episodes on Breaker." Um, other people can see, follow you, see your profile, see how, what episodes you've listened to, and you can like episodes. And that for us is a big signal of this is a really cool episode. Um, so we show you episodes uh, that other people have liked a lot in the past twenty four hours. So you can kind of see hot episodes as they they come and go. So you're you're adding a social layer to yes. podcast listening, which is really needed. I mean, podcasting is such an amazing medium. Like it's there's just this intimacy and this closeness. I, I wrote a blog, a very popular blog for many years, and then I hosted a podcast for a few years. And I just got this response from listeners that you'd never got in kind of the written word. There's just something, there's a connection about hearing someone's voice. But but it's also like I talk to friends and they're like, oh, I listened to this amazing episode on the way to work today. But there's this disconnection because I haven't, you know, I haven't maybe even heard of the show or I haven't heard the episode yet. It's that problem of the kind of asynchronous listening. So it sounds like you're you're adding, you're, you're solving this problem. I feel like podcast user experience has so many problems. So I'm so glad that you're trying to fix this problem space. Um, adding that social layer, I think really is is, is huge. It would be huge. Yeah, thanks. We think so, too. I mean, when we first started running it, we were just, you know, had like 100 of our friends beta testing it. And it's so fun. I was just spying on like, what do people listen to? What are they listening to every day? (laughs) I would snoop and I would steal. I'd be like, oh, this episode looks good. I'm going to listen to that. So So the app is it's all you need to listen to podcasts. It's not just a recommendation engine. And then you get to you go over to your favorite Podcast, yeah, you can. Yeah, podcasts. you can listen to podcasts in the app. You can subscribe. We send you really okay. nice push notifications with like the episode description and episode art. So if you want to know now, when new free? episodes are coming out, it's totally free. It's in the app store. iOS. It's available iOS for only. iOS. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the podcast world is a strange world. It is. Uh, I'm 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 backing up a second into how it materialized. One of the stories I love hearing because Apple. It's sort of been this thing that's been on like the top shelf that they notice every so often in the dining room. And uh, I think of the Odeo 
to Twitter story is hilarious oh, to yeah. me. They'd raised a bunch of money and then Apple put a podcast directory. They just threw it into to iTunes, I think. They said, oh, we're done. <laughs> they just ended that startup. So the impact, I feel like it's almost the this inadvertent impact that Apple has had on podcasting is is kind of bizarre. This, that story is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just announced some changes actually recently around how they're going to handle podcasts. And I saw some articles floating around. I was like, well, that's the end of podcasts. No more podcasts. You're obviously in this world right now. Tell us, well, both in terms of how you see the ecosystem and also what's happening more recently. Yeah, well, Apple's been the dominant player, like you said, because they control the devices, right? Right. At first it was the iPod, now it's the iPhone. They control the thing that's in your pocket that you most often listen to podcasts on. Like maybe you listen in a car, but for the most part, uh, it's the device. So when Apple puts out anything related to podcasting, it has a huge impact. And recently at this year's WWDC, they announced uh, a few changes, some more controversial than others, added some extra fields to their feeds, not that exciting. What really got people worked up uh, was that they're going to start exposing metrics and listening data based on their app. So they have a podcast app on your phone. They're going to start tracking what users are listening to um, and sharing that data with podcast creators. Okay, so Apple drops this sort of stock, sort of part of the app package. There's a podcast app, right? Yes. And that's, I think people people gloss over it you know, the power of default apps for anything. Like I I, have, I downloaded this really great new camera app recently and uh, I want to use it because it has this amazing ability to control exposure before you can take the picture. And then I realized that I can't swipe from lock screen. I can't do a lot of things that, <laughs> right. that are yeah. privileges for the stock Apple camera app. And I think that's the, the steep hill here, right? For a lot of independent apps and and independent uh, developers around this. So what do you think, where does this go? What do you, what do you, where do you see this going? Well, what's interesting about Apple's podcast app is they don't really have a ton of access to things that third-party developers don't have access to, which is exciting as an independent developer of a podcast app. They don't have that like lock screen, like we have access to the same lock screen APIs that they do. Right. um, Pretty much the same stuff. What, of course, we still have the disadvantage of it's the default one that comes on your phone versus right. you know right. having to go download Breaker in the App Store. Right. But yeah, so so what's interesting about this new announcement is that currently podcasters don't have a lot of insight into data and who's listening to their podcast because uh, as as a podcast publisher, you guys know, you just publish a feed. Right. Right. So where's Breaker going? I mean, you, you're, first off, you're out. Let's clarify that it's in the App Store today. It's in the App Store today. We launched about two months ago. Publicly. Okay. New, brand new. And yeah. you were on, Breaker was on screen at WWDC this year, was it not? It was. Oh, so Huge. we got an email. Whoa. The Friday before Monday was the, the keynote and the announcements at WWDC. The Friday before, we get an email from Apple asking for our permission to use our artwork <laughs> at WWDC. <laughs> And I was like, maybe we're going to be in like one of these posters, you know, or like, you know how they uh-huh. have like walls of apps that show all the icons. Yeah. So that is a very vague and broad request. Were you and Eric right. just like jumping up and down at that point? We or? just said yes. We yeah. just said like, okay, yes. that's what you say when yeah, Apple asks. Yeah, you just say, when Apple asks anything, you just say yes. 
you sign it away. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Take it. No big deal. But then I was like, it's too late to be printing things. Like they're not right. printing on Friday. What are they doing on Friday that they want icons? And what ended up happening is the new app store, the new Apple app store splits apps into apps and games, gets the games out of you know, messing with the app. Because right now, all the top 10 lists are all, it's all games. It's all games. Right. Right. And it's so hard to break through as an app that's not a game. So they recognized this and said, hey, games are great. We still want to surface the best games. But, you know, games are quite different from productivity apps or, you know, a photo app or a music listening app. Like we want to give them some space as well. So now the main tab is apps. It's not full of games. And they were looking for just, you know, people to put in that screen or apps to put in that screen and they picked us which was great i think probably because we have a nice icon (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure so the context was just like here's the new app store and there was breaker right there in the little lineup yep we were just they scrolled by it we were were (laughs) in the keynote for like one second Take it in. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. What's it. even crazier is we were on Apple.com for like a date, but we're kind of bef- below the fold. So there's just like a tiny little sliver of the icon on Apple. But I sent it to my That's parents. Great. I was like, look, we're on <laughs> Apple.com. Tiny little sliver I feel like this app. is like the new Apple. They've got yeah. like a competing podcast app yeah. on screen at WWDC. You're That's on their amazing. radar. So there's that. Yeah, absolutely. You, it, I mean, they didn't, you know, they know about you, right? So, uh, yeah. I, I have a dumb question, though, about listener stats. Did, sure. Did, are those... I'm going to just assume that you are not, like, Breaker isn't able to point, like, to post to that API, to send the, your Breaker's listening information to Apple. To Apple, no. Okay. Okay. So they're, just want to make sure. So what's interesting is that they have listener stats because they control one of the listening clients. Right. So as a podcast host, you don't have a lot of insight because you don't know who's hitting that feed. Like, you don't know if it's a bot. You don't know if it's right. a real person listening to it. Like. You really don't know who's looking at your data, whereas in the app, you know who plays a podcast, right? You know, hey, this user actually listened versus... Download doesn't is meaningless. Lots of clients auto-download. Right. Right. Google crawls it and download, you know. Right, right. I had this moment where I was like, maybe they opened up this API and other podcast apps could post to it, but that's crazy talk. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. It's not coming out till this fall, so... Okay. Have they ever done that for anything? I mean... The icon was up on the screen at WWDC. I feel there's, like there's hope. There's an opening here. <laughs> <laughs> I would go stand at like just outside the spaceship for a while and see if anybody walks out so that I can talk to you. Well, it's probably sliding doors. Like when someone goes in, just scoot in behind them and I feel of the thousands of Apple employees, <laughs> there's maybe like ten that work on podcasts. I like think the that's odds right. are that's good. True. That's, that's true. Right. So does this mean that creators are going to ask their listeners? to use the Apple Podcast app to get those stats? Because it's true. I mean, honestly, Rich, I don't even know where we look to see how Track Changes is doing in terms of listening. So maybe Apple's listening stats are just one statistic that a publisher can use to point to. Exactly. I think that's how most... I think there are a couple of services out there that collect the stuff for you. And then Breaker Hearts could be the other stat. Yeah, we have subscribed... We are tracking stats. We're not really exposing them to publishers yet. I mean, you can see how many subscribers you have and how many likes you get, but we want to really package that data a little more nicely in the future. Um, So Apple's going to do that as well. So it is kind of coming from many different sources right now, but... See, that's why I don't think it's like the end of podcasting, right? If you're collecting yeah. it from multiple sources. Yeah. It's been incredibly resilient, right, in terms of how it's grown. And I, I feel like it's one of those things where usually there's a commercial commercial motivation or motivations that drive trends. 
And podcasts never really had that. It was just sort of this phenomena that sort of lived over on the side and yet still thrived. I don't know growth. Like, do you have an idea of growth of podcasting more generally? I think it's there is growth. I mean, I just don't know what it is. Cereal, right, was just a huge, like, huge. Was this a, is a thing. That, that was, was a, a phenomenon. That was a cultural yeah. phenomenon in a way yeah. that no other podcast had been. Yeah. Right? I mean. Yeah. It broke through and people were talking about it who didn't know what podcasts were. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is very content and hit driven. Um, there's been steady linear growth over the past few years, um, and it's actually going up quite a bit in the past year. So estimates are that 20%, I believe, of people, 21%, something like that, in the past month have listened to a podcast, up from in the teens and the tens early in past years. That's incredibly so, high. It yeah. is. That's yeah. not, that ain't nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where would you love to see Breaker go? So what is interesting to me is not just the iOS app for listening. What I think is really driving podcast listening right now is the proliferation of new devices for listening. So that's things like home devices like Google Home and Alexa and, Mm. you know, Apple just announced their speaker system. So these new home speaker smart speakers are going to be a big driver. Um, Cars, cars getting smart. Yeah. Um, having sort of built in stuff like why would you listen to the radio? The radio is like watching cable television, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you rather have the control of Netflix, which is what podcasts are? You can pick which podcast you want to listen to. You mm-hmm. have control. To so think it's what not I just biking and commuting to work. It's in other places and starting to permeate. Oh, yeah. Actually, places. commutes are the big driver of podcasts. I imagine. <laughs> I imagine they are. We have the data. So I'm a runner and I listen while I run. So I thought, you know, Saturday, Sundays, we're going to have all this podcast. No, it's like 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening, right? Yeah. 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 It's well, yeah. I mean, if you're social, (laughs) your friends are telling you to come out to brunch. Like, no, I'm going to hole up and listen to two podcasts. I I do like to listen to podcasts like while I'm cooking or like at home. But yeah, the commute is the commute is the 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 gym. Yeah. 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 It's the big driver. And then then the other one other technology that's worth mentioning is uh, headphones. So ear pods, new Bluetooth technology and making it quicker to connect headphones because that was a pain to like be digging around and untangling those cords and yeah. like yeah. plunking it in and then like yeah so making it just super fast um so there's a lot of stuff going for podcasting right now it's very cool leah this was awesome this was really a pleasure to have you here i look forward to, to hearing about your next four or five startups <laughs> over the next <laughs> 20 Listen, years I swear, or so. <laughs> I swear this is my last one. Every time oh, I say said that every time this is my last one. I don't, this isn't a bug. I think this is a feature. I love yeah, that I your career has like spanned so many different like product types. And I, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. It's, I want to see Breaker. It's so crazy. Yeah. Though they really do well. share kind of a common thread and that I'm always really interested in social, like online social, how people interact yes. with each other and self-expression. So I was doing blogging. Now it's podcasting. I feel they're very similar. Definitely. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you again for doing this. This was great. This has been an episode of Track Changes. Uh, I thought this went great, Gina. I do too. I think, I think I, it might be one of the this, best ones we've ever done. Be, this might be it for us. <laughs> Let's <laughs> close it out. Mic drop. Right here, <laughs> yeah. right here. Uh, thank you for listening. Paul will return next week. And if you have questions or anything you want to tell us about anything, we're hello at postlight.com. Have a great week. <laughs>